At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Sure. So, well, first of all, rethink everything as a mindset. So let's just start there. And so we're going to kind of talk about the three things that help you rethink everything. And it's not what you think. They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock, taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. What's up, what's up? What's up, book babies? Book babies? <laughs> It's your favorite podcast. It is Thoughts That Rock, your 30-minute podcast, roughly, where we talk uh, and try to give you a little bit of advice on certain uh, subjects or uh, happenings, whatever the current scenarios might be. We're trying to just add some value to Mm -hmm. your lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you like it, fantastic. Try to get in there and give us a review, maybe even. Uh, And if you don't like it, keep it to yourself. Yeah, just just don't say anything. If, you know, it's exactly what your mom told you, right? Your mother, that's right. What your mother always taught you. My mother. I'm glad you said roughly 30 minutes because I think today we went about 50. It's a little bit longer, uh, but she was great. Christy was awesome. You know, that, that's the thing. Real, you know, when you have somebody who is just so passionate about, um, you know, sort of what they do, and and then just brilliant. So she. Yeah. Uh, she was amazing. Tell, let's, let's give everybody a little tease as to what they're about to hear. Well, it makes me wonder uh, for the guests that we only had 11 minutes. What, what happened there? What do we think about? Well, just, you know what? Just kidding. Teach their own. <laughs> we put everything on the back of the guests. Success or failure? It's totally up hey, to you. We're always great. That's right. out of our right. control. <laughs> right. Yeah. Our guest was my good friend, Christy Turner, now Brant's friend as well. Uh, they, you, mm-hmm. You'll hear in the interview that uh, they, well, I'm not sure if we did it in the interview. I think it was pre yeah. that you guys uh, both yeah. had some uh, familiarity with uh, the same college. Um, but, but yeah, there was some pretty go mocks. <laughs> yes. I'm, nobody knows what that is except for people that just no. went to that college, but yeah, Christy Turner is awesome. I've known her, I want to say 25, 30 years. She's a uh, C-level executive, uh, mostly, I guess, coming up through restaurants is how I knew her, but she's done some stuff with technology. In fact, some of the companies she's worked with now as a leadership consultant, Target, Walmart, Apple, AT&T, Amex, Visa, you know, just some little known companies. Um, oh, she's a, a speaker. Oh, yeah. Um, she has managed a lot of these companies through mergers, acquisitions, you know, some high growth, even some crisis management stuff. And so she's out on her own doing her own thing. But the one thing that I saw in her bio that I didn't even know, but did not surprise me, um, she has a lifetime achievement award for being one of the top women in restaurant technology. So she's the real deal. And you're going to tell when we have this, uh, this discussion, especially, talking about her being a bestseller with her new book, Rethink Everything. I mean, it's crushing every category that it's been in. 
And we just had a lot of fun talking about that exact topic, how to rethink everything in business and in life. I know you enjoyed it as well. That was some pretty, pretty high level conversations, I would say. It was amazing. You guys are going to love this. It's your chance to rethink everything. What? There she is. Christy Turner is in the house. Hi, Christy. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jim. Hi, Brant. Hey, so great to be here. Same here. Same here. I've been uh, talking you up with Brant. I was just saying because all three of us are uh, published authors, all three of us best-selling authors, but I don't know of anybody that got number one bestseller in like, what was it? 10, 12 categories. Like you're, you're crushing it out there. Congratulations. It's, thank you. It's been amazing. Yes. 12 categories, number one on Amazon. Could not be more happy. Just uh, thrilled with all the love and support. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, I was one of the first ones too. I got I got a copy right here, and uh, just need to make sure I get your signature, your John Hancock, on there at some point. But great read, Absolutely. and uh, obviously that fits in perfectly. I mean, we basically revolved the entire topic around you, as you know. We were talking about in the introduction. You know, we uh, we're trying to solve issues and help people out with whatever obstacles or problems they might have, and. You know, right now, I think the world could probably use a little bit of rethinking. So we basically made this topic, how to rethink everything. And, and sort of the tagline in your world is in both business and in life. So we, we couldn't think of, uh, of anybody better because, you know, it came from you in the first place. So we're, <laughs> we're so thrilled that you made it on the Thoughts That Rock. So well, why don't we just jump right in? Why don't you tell us, uh, you know, what is your first Thought That Rocks on how to rethink everything and what the heck that even means? Sure. So, well, first of all, rethink everything is a mindset. So let's just start there. And mm -hmm. so we're going to kind of talk about the three things that help you rethink everything. And it's not what you think it is. So the first is pause and assume the status quo may be wrong. Mm. And there's a couple of things in this first thought that are uncharacteristic of us uh, human uh, beings. We tend to be reactive we tend not to pause. And when I say pause and assume the status quo is wrong, I mean for five minutes, 30 mm -hmm. seconds. You know, it's not about pausing and taking time off. That is great too. Um, but really, what if we just paused and took a breath in between meetings, in between chaos, in our mornings, in our evenings? Because when we when we pause and we assume the status quo is wrong, which most of us don't, right? We kind of inherit everything that society tells us. Yeah. And, you know, news alert, not always right, right? There's just a lot of reactions that we do. But if we just pause occasionally and kind of look back and say, you know, what's working, what's not, what's truth, what's exaggerated, what's limiting and what really fits me and what doesn't fit me anymore. And this can be like micro daily things, or this can be macro life decisions. But if you pause and assume the status quo is wrong, both personally and professionally, your mind starts thinking in a completely different way. And I can take you down a path of a couple of examples if you want, yeah, yeah. Um, because everybody loves, okay, theoretically that sounds fantastic, but you know, give me some examples. Is it going to address so, like podcast co-host at all? <laughs> that, you know, that one's deep. I don't, I don't know whether I could do that or not, but I'll try, we're, we're, I'll try to give you some micro. Sure. 
<laughs> so micro moments like in our daily, like, you know, like you guys, my day stacked, whether it's media interviews, whether it's mm-hmm. meetings, whether it's Zoom meetings, it's back to back, you know, and yet and when you wake up in the morning, if you can't just start with a pause, you know, how am I feeling today? What's going on? Maybe meditation, maybe prayer, maybe a little connection to nature before you connect with technology. It yeah. makes a huge difference in your whole day. And, you know, being CMO for forever, <laughs> for the last 30 year career, you know, I, my calendar just, it was eight o'clock to six o'clock back to back. And I just started putting in 15 minute pauses so people couldn't book. In certain times, I started starting the day differently. I'm a big outdoor nature person, little bit of a tree hugger. You know, I would, you know, just start with connecting with nature. You know, we get these gifts every day, sunrises, sunsets, rainstorms, cloudy days. Just take a pause, you know, look out there, connect before we go for our 12 hour day in electronic Zooms and phones or in business you know, I couldn't stand the cubicle, the office all day long. So people would come by, you got five minutes, I'm sure let's walk. And we take a walk around the building. We go outside, walk and talk. You know, um, when my when my cell phone and my laptop would go dead for a battery, I took that as a sign that maybe my battery's going low. So I'd plug them up. I'd walk outside, put my feet in the ground. It just makes all the difference. And we're talking about five minutes. You know, yeah. it doesn't have to be long. And then you got these macro moments, you know, big life decisions that, you know, we all inherit the status quo of you know, high school, college, marriage, kids, you know, do this in your corporate career and, you know, in this order. And sometimes that's not the right fit for you. And if you mm-hmm. just kind of pause and go, you know, what kind of career do I want? You know, do I want nonprofit? Do I want self-employed? Do I want corporate? Do I want to zigzag and have different experiences or do I want to go, you know, up the the marketing only corporate ladder? You know, what kind of parent do I want to be? Mm-hmm. You know, have you have you paused to think about what kind of parent you want to be? Or for me, I have 14 nieces and nephews that I absolutely adore. You know, there were many times in my life I was like, what kind of aunt do I want to be? You know, do I want to be a distant passive aunt where I see him once a year or do I want to be in their life? And, you know, I literally have notes on my calendar and post-its where I text them all. How are you doing? What's going on at certain time periods? So I can kind of be a part of their life or I create a family Thanksgiving get together where they're all invited and we have 25, you know, we do a a family Olympics. That's intentional. Mm. That's the type of aunt I want to be. But if you don't pause you know, and really think about those macro moments and those micro moments, you kind of are just reactive, right? And you're just going through life and you may be going down a right path. You may not, but it's more about what's authentic for me. So So that's the uh, first. Let's take a stop there for a second, because I think, Brant, I would be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. And and Christy, you may not know this, but Brant, swears he hasn't really had a vacation in like 25, 30 years. It's just not really his gig, you know, for taking big, huge chunks of time as a, as a pause. I think there might be brand other people in your life that are probably going to start affecting that now. But what, what do you think about this? Cause I know we, we have talked about whether that five minute pause in the morning, I've got a friend of mine that's very, 
you know, he's probably more faith-based and his start of the day is around prayer and a little bit around meditation, but just stopping and being still every once in a while is extremely productive. Although people that are workaholics and go, go, go would think it's counterproductive. Um, it, it's, it's really not. So Brant, I would just, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, I, I could agree with micro pauses. <laughs> micro? Uh, um, I'm not a big extended period of time. Pausing drives me bonkers. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in doing things with deliberate intention. And so you can't be deliberate with your intention unless you pause long enough to figure out what you're going to be deliberate about. So mm -hmm. I agree a hundred percent on that. I think it's something that, um, you know, some of us are conditioned not to pause. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you're constantly striving for whatever that next thing is, um, it's hard to turn your brain off for a minute. It's hard to, you know, for people like myself and, and, you know, creatives in that way, uh, it's hard to go to sleep at night. It's hard to, mm -hmm. you know, not just go to that next thing because the creativity is taking over and it's, yeah. you know, you, it becomes, something you have to actually practice, uh, Christy, right? It's not something that's going for some of us. It doesn't happen naturally at all. And so you have to sort of like you did sort of deliberately put it into your schedule where you're blocking off this time. And then when you get to that time, you have to resist the urge to just blow right through it with another, Oh, I'm just going to squeeze in this meeting. Cause I I've got 15 minutes now that I gave myself to pause and that pause becomes just an excuse to stick something else in there. So I think yeah. you have to be, as I say, deliberate with your intention, even in the pausing of, of doing what it is you're intending to do rather than, you know, for me, I would put 15 minutes in my schedule and I'd hit that 15 minute mark and I would be like, no oh, shit, what am I going to do for the next 15 minutes? Cause I can't stand just doing nothing. So, well, let's, but let's talk about this. Cause I think there's a couple of things there. It's like being intentional and it's what's authentic for you. Like we're all wired differently. True. Right. I like you have an incredibly busy mind and you know, between ballet dancing, between writing, I have a creative side love music. Sometimes that pause is to listen to music because mm -hmm. I'm on Zoom calls all day long, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that pause is in the roles I have in my life as a parent, as an aunt, as a as an executive, back-to-back -back meetings. I have a lot of things coming at me, right? Questions, decisions, and all day long they're coming at me. And so that in that pause is my time to actually think process or have a blank sheet of paper for some creative ideas. Because when you're asked a lot of questions, right, you, you know, all day long, you're reacting, you're answering, you're giving a decision, everybody else's priorities, company, family, are suddenly your priorities. Mm -hmm. So in the pause, it's like, I got to think for myself, right? I, I guess I need a moment. If all this wasn't coming at me, what would my ideas be? Right. Because mm -hmm. reacting to somebody who may be saying, hey, do we do this or do we do this? What's your decision? Yeah. Versus, wait, if you hadn't have given me those two choices, would I have thought of a third way, yeah. a creative, a more innovative third way? If I could just take a breath. Right. Would I have thought of a more innovative solution 
than the two options you're getting, which I always call the third way. And anytime somebody gives me two choices, I'm like, there's got to be a third way. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's the challenge. That's challenging other people. That's challenging yourself. You know, writing music, writing a book. You need some quiet time to to kind of write. You're still doing you're still being productive. Right. Productive is is my love language, right? Mm -hmm. I measure everything by how much I'm being productive and how busy yeah. I am. Not saying that's right. I'm saying that's mm -hmm. how my brain is wired. Not sure. telling everybody to do that, saying you probably shouldn't do that, but that is my DNA. That's my that's my love language. Yes. Yeah. So so you're like, okay, I'm gonna start another company. Oh wait, I can do this. I can do that. I can fit in this. So I'm not saying stop that. I'm just saying, are you giving yourself enough time for a more innovative, creative third option to come up? Are you pausing or are you just reacting, right? If you're, if you're always going, you're reacting to the world instead of creating and being proactive. So the pause, there's, there's just power in that pause. Again, it can be five minutes. That's yeah. rant for you, not 15 minutes, five right. minutes. I'm down with that. I can give you- You would be five. fine with 15 minutes. We're just not talking about like five days. Now, now you're cutting into that productive factor. I, you know, I will say this, you know, Christy, you and I both working in, in organizations. I know yours is superseded restaurants, a lot more in technology as well. But I remember with some of the organizations that I've been a part of that in human resources, we would always clamor and scream at the top of our lungs to report to operations because operations mm -hmm had a, a little bit more money, uh, maybe had a little bit more of the, the CEO or the executive's ears, particularly because mm -hmm. I was a part of HR. I was a training and development guy. So do you report it through HR? Do you report up through ops? And the reason I bring this up is I just remember I've done both. But for the few moments that I was reporting to operations, it was very reactive. Yes, you had a lot of voice. Yes, there was more resources, but you were at the whim of whatever they needed. There was a problem somewhere. HR would have or, or training would have to go out there and solve it and create some program, even if it really wasn't a training issue where, for whatever reason, good, bad or indifferent to me, reporting up to human resources allowed me to have that pause to sit back and think mm -hmm. strategically and, and be a little bit more proactive versus reactive. In fact, mm -hmm. I bet that's probably why, be, you know, I, I was such a fan of Marcus Buckingham's books, his first book that mm -hmm. he wrote about first break all the rules. I am all about breaking the status quo. I've always been a believer. If it isn't broke, break it anyway, because there's always, you can always make it better where I do think mm -hmm. a lot of people, they'll go, this is pretty good. Let's sit back on our laurels and let's move on to the next thing. I think we can chew gum and walk at the same time. I'm constantly going, let's figure out a way to break it and, and make it better. So I, I know this is a very positive way when you're saying pause and just assume that the status quo might not be working. Man, you're, you're talking my language for sure. I, I love diving into stuff like that. I know you said yet um, you were going to use a second story, a second analogy as well. Yeah, on on just, you know, pausing and, and, and thinking the status quo is wrong. I'll give I'll give a corporate since you're going down the operations. Yeah, um, I tell the story in the book where I most of my career has been marketing sales on the you know, growth side. 
and then uh, big telecom company I worked for uh, for years had the brilliant idea of putting, you know, making us cross train, right? So, so they took me out of marketing and my little happy advertising sports marketing role, happy as a clam, and they put me over customer service organization, mm-hmm. 70 frontline customer service reps. It was like my worst nightmare. I'm like, A, I don't know anything, you know, B, I'm not customer service. I'm not operations. I'm the marketing gal. What are you, what are you doing? You've lost your mind. And so we go, so I go over there and the first day, and this is really kind of challenging the status quo. It was more because I was naive than it was that I had a rethink everything philosophy because this is in my twenties, but I was getting a tour, getting introduced to the whole team. And we're walking through and it's like they had this clock on the wall. They were timing uh, the calls and they were trying to get the customer off the phone. And I just thought it was ludicrous. Insanity. Like, do you know we're spending one hundred and sixty million in marketing to get customers to talk to us? And you've got a clock. on You've got the customer on the phone and you've got a clock on the wall and your KPI is to get them off the phone. Mm-hmm. Like this is insanity. So again, when I say pause and ask questions, it's like, why are we doing this? Like, is this KPI driving the right behavior? Like, I get it. Customer service considered a cost center, right? Yeah. You got to reduce the amount of customer service reps on the phone, all that. But it just doesn't make sense. Certain reports we're doing, they don't make sense. So one of my favorite things going into a new department or a new company is just to challenge everything. Like, well, why are we doing that report? Takes you eight hours. Who's reading it? What decisions are being made? Oh, well, we've done it for 10 years. Great. Stop doing it. And then let's see what happens. Does anybody call and yell for it? No, nobody's been reading it for 10 years. It's a complete waste of time. And so I think the pause and assuming whatever we're doing isn't quite right. Or to your point, there's just a better way of doing it. It creates innovation. You find time, you know, we stopped doing a report. It took one team member eight hours a week. We just bought ourselves eight hours, you know? So there's just benefits. And I would say that, you know, in family, you know, how many shouldas are there in family dynamics and parenting, your kids should be doing this and this and this, and they need to be a part of this club soccer league. And they need to, and you just to start like kind of as a parent, cause there is no instructional book. You just start signing kids up for stuff. And there was an age my kids got to where they were like, I don't want to do that. And I was like, Oh, well, okay, hold on. Let's pause. And we mm-hmm. cut out like three or four things. And we were all like happier, you know, it's like, why, why did we ever do that? Oh, well, because Jane down the street told us we were supposed to, and we just started doing it. So I think that's the power of assuming the status quo is not always the right way. Hmm. You, you can find time, you can find innovation. It, it's just, there's always a more creative way to do things. Love it. Love it. Listen, we'll be right back after this. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it 
from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So we uh, we, we talked about the first uh, the first takeaway, the first thought that rocks, which is pause, assume that the status quo may be wrong. What is your second thought that rocks? Okay, the second is ask questions, right? Why? What if? And is there a better way? So we touched on it a little bit and what we were talking about in the first thought, but let's just take that a little bit deeper. So when you ask questions, your brain starts thinking in a completely different way. Why are mm -hmm. we doing this? Well, what if we did the opposite, right? What is the better way? And then ask and listen. Again, let's use the same analogy with the first question. Let's just say frontline employees, customer service reps, sales reps that are in the front lines. They're talking to the prospect and the customer every single day. Are you asking them what they're hearing? Mm -hmm. Are you asking them what the customer, what the frontline, they have the answers, right? They know what you should be doing either for your product or for better customer service. Listen to them. You know, you'll get the solutions. You'll get the answers. Ask your kids, what do they really want to be doing? You know, it, it might change the direction. Kids know what they want to do and what they don't mm -hmm. want to do. They know their authentic path. Frankly, as parents, sometimes we get them off their authentic path. And mm -hmm. it's just about asking questions and or you take corporate interview situations. I mean, could we please ask some better questions in interviews? <laughs> I mean, it is the most awkward, horrible process. It's like there's got to be a better way of getting to know someone and it's got to be mutual, right? Yeah. You'd let them ask questions. And what questions can we ask of candidates that helps us get to know them a little bit better? And so it's the type of questions you ask. It's how you ask it. And more importantly, it's listening to the answers, right? And then catapult yeah. on those ideas. So my question Christy, in the spirit of your, you like that? Um, here's, here's the challenge that I see happen all the time. And I'm curious how you would approach this. I love the idea of asking questions. Mm -hmm. I think it can get very dangerous to ask questions because mm -hmm. people attach their worth to their contribution. Mm -hmm. And when they do that, if you're questioning something that happened to be their contribution, they're immediately defensive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they feel like if you change it, you just devalued what they brought to the table. Mm -hmm. So how do you approach asking questions when most of the questions you are going to ask is going to challenge what somebody has already contributed? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think it's that how you ask it, right? So it's like, why are let's let's take something literal, like why are you doing this report? Well, mm -hmm. my predecessor did it for 10 years and they mm -hmm. showed me how to do it, and that's part of the job. I was like, okay, what good is coming out of it? Again, very defensive could be the answer, right? Mm -hmm. Or you're saying, before you ask that question, what if you said something to the effect of what would you rather be doing that you think could be a better contribution to the company or that you're passionate about? Mm -hmm. That's totally different, yes. right? Yes. And then they're like, wow, you know, if I had time, 
I want to fix this or I want to do this. Or if the company would just listen to me on this, it's like, okay, what's that idea? Okay. How much time do you need? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, what if you did that and drop the report for a month and let's see what happens. So again, it's that how you're asking it. Cause you're right. People are very protective. They're very defensive mm-hmm. or God forbid, if you're asking something about the report and they created the report, Right. You know, that's sensitive. Right. Right, But you give them the option. It's more about do you have any ideas that could better serve the company or that you enjoy doing more than this report that we need to make time for? So it's just the how you ask it, I think. Um, And the same thing, you know, you've got boundaries. So maybe it's more like one of the one of the things I always took my teams through Because uh, to your point, I think employees can get defensive. They can also um, play victim, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, if we only had the budget, we, you know, we should do this and we should do that. But they don't, they're not in charge of the budget. So they just like to blame it on the budget. So, so at least annually, if not more often, I would take my team through an exercise where it's a white sheet of paper. There is no budget, but here's what we're trying to accomplish as a company. Right here, we've got to grow this much or we've got to do this much. So what would you do? Free range. And you let them create the plan and the budget. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of back back into it. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, do you really want to spend this much? Because, you know, we're at risk for layoffs if we overspend or, you know, Mm -hmm. you start challenging their questioning, but you get them back to a reasonable plan and budget. And then they are suddenly 100% accountable. Yeah. It became their idea yep. and not yours. And, you know, again, there's ways of asking questions as you're going through that brainstorming process, but you get them to the same challenges that frankly leadership has where money doesn't grow on trees. We have to make mm-hmm. tough choices, right? There is a reasonable budget, but would we overspend if we thought we would have overgrowth? Yeah, we would, you know, that'd yep. be a fantastic problem to have. But are you willing to risk it? And you kind of make them own the decisions that they normally blame leadership for. And then you've got accountability, you've got ownership, and they're more vested in executing the plan. So it's just the how you do it and how you ask uh, questions that I think makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, I used to teach an entire class that we had created internally called Asking Why. I mean, that was I, I love this this takeaway, this thought from you, Christy, because there's so much that can be gained from it. I, I know exactly what you're saying, Brent. I and I think the overarching answer that you're saying, Christy, is if you do it in, in an authentic spirit that you're trying to teach people, teach people how to fish and, and come across, you know, I shared this story because we I don't know if you knew this, Christy. We just had an episode about asking questions, an entire episode. Yeah, I listened to it. It was great. From yeah. Nick, Nick Glimstall. He was, he was great mm-hmm. at, at what he talks about. And I shared a story saying, I clearly remember times where I knew the answer. I knew what I needed, let's say in this instance that I shared on the show, for a busser to clean a table a certain way. And it would be too easy for me in a high volume environment to just go, you need to take care of that. This was wrong. This was wrong. And then just move on. Instead, taking the pause, taking your word, right? Taking your language and going, I'm going to sit here and just talk through this with him or her and say, what's mm-hmm. wrong with the picture? Do you see that table? What could we do differently? Do you know, you know what we should be doing? Mm-hmm. How about if you thought about it like this? It was just question after question after question. Maybe I don't have all of the questions right, 
but I'm trying to lead them to drink and come up either with the same solution I already know, or they come up with something completely different as a third a third solution. And again, to your point, there's accountability. They're not going to blame anybody. And then the, the, the perfect scenario is that person gets into some sort of a supervisor, leadership, trainer position where now they're teaching other people. So I, I just yeah. think this is brilliant. But I think your, your answer is really, if you come about it the right way, maybe even people with preconceived ideas or they came up with the thing in the first place, they won't be as offended. Maybe, you know, there's a journey with, with both of you yeah. together. Yeah. Or, you know, like you, I grew up in restaurants, you know, as a hostess, I was a trainer, as a bartender, you know, did it all and opened new stores uh, for Outback Steakhouse. And, you know, for a bus or example like that, you know, what if you ask the question, you know, would you want to sit at this table after you bust it? Is it clean enough for you? Yeah. You know, do you, do you like how it looks? <laughs> you know, and again, but you're getting them accountability. You're getting them to own it and you're getting yeah. them to think from the customer's perspective. Right. Would you, would you if you were calling the telecom company and you felt like they were trying to hang up on you because they had a clock hanging on the wall? How would that make you feel? Yeah. Is that really the way we want to treat our customers? You know, I think yeah. there's just ways of just making them think for themselves and owning their role. And also, I think one of the biggest thing was helping team members see their potential impact on the business. Yeah. Right. Your role is important. You know, every role in this company is important. We're all leaders. You've got so much power, you know, flipping that org chart upside down and the frontline employees having more power than the CEO. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're the ones talking to the customer. And I think that empowerment goes a long way and making sure they understand that this position and how it is inside the cogs will of the entire company makes a yeah. huge difference. Well, you yeah. just literally took the word that I was going to say. <laughs> um, you know, some I, I just finished getting certified in the psychology of leadership and uh, through Cornell. And and one of the things that we talked about was, you know, you really as a leader, you need to treat everyone like they're high potential, whether they are or not. You have mm -hmm. to. Um, and if you don't, the whole team loses. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this idea of, uh, you know, when you start asking why you're endangering people, whether you realize it or not, right. So you have to empower someone before you endanger them, right? So if you empower them by letting them know how much they mean to the organization and, right. and what they're really doing well, when you go to ask the why, um, they don't feel as endangered because you've just told them everything that they're really doing great at, right? They see value, they see, they, they feel their mm -hmm. worth. Um, so I think that to me, as important as it is as to how you're going to ask the question, it's equally important to empower them first before you ask that question. Otherwise, I don't care how you say it, they're going to be defensive. Even on, even on an example like you just gave of would you, um, would you want to be on a phone with a telecom person if, uh, you know, if they are, uh, being rushed off the phone? They immediately think that they're rushing people off the phone because <laughs> that's, that's right. what you ask them. And so they, they immediately go, well, well, I mean, I didn't. And, and all of a sudden they are in this defensive posture as opposed to you're doing a phenomenal job. Your numbers are, are just fantastic. You're really mm -hmm. taking care of our employees. If you could change 
how you are doing it, how would you change it, right? That's yeah. a completely different approach than that. not empowering them first because then everything becomes a defensive posture because it's just how we're wired. It's, it's a, it is a, um, a reaction that is pre-wired uh, in our brains as opposed to, you know, uh, um, sort of giving them that little lift before you, you ask any question, you know, no Absolutely. matter how. Well, and I think you're also talking about, you're assuming the relationship is very status quo of leader employee, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. let's just, let's just challenge that for a minute mm -hmm. in the sense of if you have a relationship with your team members, where they are already trusting, they're mm -hmm. already feeling empowered, they're already feeling valued and heard. There's a history. Yep. It's a completely different conversation mm -hmm. when you ask them why, because yep. they had, there's a history of them knowing you've got their back, you trust them, you yep. value them. And so you're really asking why from the angle in that relationship of, why help me understand because i respect your opinion right right and so it's about the relationship and the type of leader you were before you started asking that question that has a more impact on how that question is received yep. so my team members knew how much i valued them yep. they knew their opinion mattered they knew i listened to them they knew i respected them so when i start asking why or what if we did it this way then they start or what they just start joining in right at that point. Cause there's that wonderful trusted relationship. They're like, well, what if we did it that way? And then the next ones, what if we, you know, and we're brain, we're suddenly brainstorming in a positive way versus you're the, the um, ego driven leader, you know, that's coming in going, why are you doing that way? Of course they're yeah. defensive. So again, it's more about that relationship. I think that sets you up uh, for uh, the ability to question employees, but in a more positive way. 100%. Awesome. All right, let's bring us on, Christy. What's your third thought that rocks? All right. So the third one's probably the most important because, you know, you can, you can challenge the status quo. You can ask why, what if, but then you've got to have the courage to do something about it, right? You've got the courage to reinvent, come up with a new idea, lead yourself and others with a different way and executing an idea can be the hardest part, right? Or stop doing a report when you're scared to death that upper management's gonna come down and, and say, where's my report, right? And so you've gotta have the courage. And you know, hence the subtitle of my book, The Courage to Do It, To Lead Differently. This mm -hmm. is the hard part, you know? It's, um, it's, it's, it's going through that challenge of, you know, does this feel right for me? Is this authentic for me? Do I want to adopt this belief? Do I want to do things this way? Um, you know, uh, are these KPIs the right way? By the way, let's just keep with some of the examples we've come up with, with the timed call. All right, well, customer service has been timing the call for 20 years. What's going to happen when we stop timing the call? You know, somebody's going to have a problem with that. So you actually have to have the courage to kind of go to whoever, upper management or other departments and say, we're going to stop doing this. This is the reason why. This is what we're thinking. We could be right or wrong, but can you give us three months and we're going to focus and we're going to we're going to focus on wowing the customer instead of timing the call. 
Mm. You know, and you have to get buy-in and support. You can't just stop doing things. And I think that a lot of it falls at that second step where people go through the question, they do the brainstorming, they come up with ideas, but then they never make the change. They never have the courage to kind of fight the inertia, especially in big corporations. All of us have been part of of, of large uh, corporations, and it's hard. You know, you're, yeah. you get, you, it's not just your team or your role or even your department when you want to do a major change. You've got to sell it to upper management. And one of the ways that whenever I was making, you know, a major change is, is I would walk whoever through the thought process. You know, and it's amazing when you walk them through your thought process and you volunteer that I'm, I might be right. I might be wrong, but can you give me three months to try this? Yeah. And it's a much more to your to your point, Brent, much more defensive reaction when you walk them through instead of you're coming at it going, we're going to stop doing this. Gonna, this is stupid and we're going to do this. And, you know, they get defensive. They get scared, by the way. Because, you know, all of these things we do in families and our personal and our professional life, they're comfort zones. Right. So any big change is uncomfortable. And we know that probably 99 percent of humans don't like change. So you've got to make sure you walk, you've got to have the courage to make the change. But you also have to kind of walk people through yeah. um, the change and and show them what you're reinventing and why. And um, and explain it and give them time, by the way, to digest it. Don't go at them, kind of bring them in with you along the journey. And then normally they kind of feel better about it. And my my big thing was always, um, you know, give me a time period. And people Mm -hmm. are because if you can revert it, they're not too scared. Well, what's three months? So she's not going to measure calls for three months. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, or I would ask my bosses, what do you, so here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I want to do. Here's the risk. I'd outline it all. And I'm like, what, what are you worried about? Have I missed anything? Yeah. Right. And then again, they can kind of contribute. I think the, the the role that you play as a leadership consultant, and I know you talk about that rethink process in the book. Um, As soon as you started talking about this thought, uh, my mind immediately went, Brant, to the work that you do. And it's so funny because I think people in general think they know what their values are. But then, and you can talk about some of this if you want to be, but I know that you put people on the spot and you challenge people. I mean, challenge is exactly what you were just saying. It's in the language that you gave, Christy. But, you know, you challenge people, Brant, and say, is that really your value? Because, you know, it, it could be BS. How does it show up physically in your life? If you're not actively practicing yeah. or participating or talking about or whatever, it's not really one of your your core values, right? I, I don't know if you were no. thinking about this at all, but the whole time I'm going, oh yeah, this is all about challenging and reinvesting and helping lead mm-hmm. others, right? Totally. I mean, so th- there's really three drivers of behavior, right? So the first is what you just talked about. It's our, it's our value system, right? It's sort of our inner, inner workings. And that's sort of the first initial driver of behavior. Unfortunately, most of us have no idea what our non-negotiables are. We have an idea of right. what's important, but it really doesn't go beyond that. So it's muddy at best. 
But the second and third drivers really are, are where this comes into setting up the culture properly. If you've done, uh, Christy, like you said, if you've done a good job of establishing the culture, then, you know, social influence is the second driver of behavior, right? So if, if people are watching other people be courageous, it makes it way easier for them to, you know, really lift up that courage to, to, to perform, um, or to do something that might be a little bit beyond what they, what they have done in the past. Um, but then that third driver is situational constraints. And so, Chris, you just gave a situational constraint, which is you gave a time frame, right? So the idea here is if they don't know what those values are, which most of them do not, you can't really rely on that to be a, a you know, a consistent driver of behavior unless you help them discover what those values are. Right. Which is what I do. And the second part would be make sure that you are doing this consistently for people to see so that they can, they can witness it happening through this social influence all around them, which gives them the courage to do so or set up some, you know, some, some situational constraints that allow them to do it as well. And I think that between those three things, the chances of them finding the courage uh, would be in just increased exponentially. Yeah. And, and I think I love what you said, because I've seen this my whole life, like courage is contagious, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost like when you, when one person unlocks this idea, we could do it differently, right? Yeah. They don't like change, but then they fall in love with the change, right? Because you're, you're kind of giving them permission to not do something that now that they've paused and thought about it, they never really like doing anyway. Do you think a customer service rep really enjoys rushing a customer off the phone? Of course not. Mm -hmm. Right. They yeah. love helping the customer. They get they start getting a high when you take. Let me take this constraint off of you. Yep. Right. So, again, let's go back to that. We're, we're going back to the same example, but it's great that we keep revisiting it. It's like not how do you feel rushing a person off the phone? But hey, it's our fault in leadership. We put this constraint on you. We're now going to free you of that. Now, how do you think it is best that we help the customer? What would wow the customer? And then let them think of the ideas, right? Yeah. They're, they're brilliant. Every, every frontline employee I've ever managed is brilliant. They've got great ideas. They just, for some reason, through hierarchy or control management or mm -hmm. just a list of things that we've always done, they feel mm -hmm. constrained. Yeah. They feel not trusted. Yeah. And when you yeah. open that up for them, it changes it changes the ball game, right? For yeah. them and for you. Yeah. One of the things that we talked extensively about um is, you know, emotional culture. And I think you're gonna start to see a lot more of this mm -hmm. um come out in the, in the, over the next year here, emotional culture is going to be something we talk a lot more about. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that is sort of the driver in emotional culture are these emotional contagions. And like you just talked about, you know, courage is, is contagious. Um, the, the real interesting thing when it comes to emotional contagions is that they are involuntary. So it's like watching somebody yawn and you yawn, right? So it's, it's not that you're trying to, it just happens. And in that same light, um, if people around you are being courageous, then your ability to catch that um, becomes mm -hmm. involuntary and it just starts mm -hmm. to happen. The, the real challenge is emotional contagions are caught by where we pay our most attention. And so if 
there's people around you that are bitching and moaning and they are complaining, then guess what? That's the emotion that's being captured by everyone. However, if you can sort of start to limit those things and really bring that courage to the surface and that's what people see and that's what they're experiencing on a day in and day out basis, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that courage becomes contagious and the emotional culture of the organization begins to shift. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know that, that I, I think, Courage is contagious. I think growth is an adrenaline drug, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you're with a company and you're growing and things are going great. And when you're stagnant, which a lot of us felt during COVID, I was in the restaurant management yeah. software technology space during COVID and we just suddenly became stagnant and it was paralyzing, right? And yeah. it was depressing, yeah. you know, because it was like suddenly our customers were stagnant. We were stagnant and you know, very proud how we managed our, our way through COVID. But, you know, all these things you start putting in place in your culture, things that are contagious like growth and new ideas. New ideas are contagious, right? When somebody next yeah. to you thinks of a new idea, your brain immediately is thinking of the next new idea. Yep. And yeah. yeah, you start and you just start firing off and suddenly the whole company's brainstorming on new ideas and new ways. And six months ago, that same company was stagnant and going, well, we've always done it that way. Well, we got to yeah. do this report. Well, we, you know, well, we've always done these KPIs and, you know, and everybody's kind of depressed and everybody's just going through the motions. Yep. And so it ignites a whole new, I love the term emotional culture, but it, it changes everything. And so yeah. suddenly Yes, humans' first reaction is I don't like change, but if you can lead them through change with excitement and energy, suddenly the ones that were avoiding change and uncomfortable with change are now in the front, like leading the change. It's amazing yeah. to watch. I've, totally. I've seen it happen a thousand times. Quick, quick little side note before we wrap up here. I wrote in my last book, Service at Rocks, an example of Zappos, who we all know now, mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny only be, and all I'm bringing this up because the example that you, you pitched about perhaps somebody pushing people off of the phone because it was about phone time where in Zappos, they encourage their KPI is the exact opposite. How long can you keep them on there by developing a relationship and experience? Yeah. I can't remember the exact number, but it was like seven and a half hours is the record right now that some customer service rep talked to a customer. And there, there's a reason why Zappos is still like in the top five of all brand health studies because of things like that. So, you know, when you rethink literally everything, what could be, what are the possibilities? Which, again, just to sort of wrap up with the three that I wrote down here, you had pause, assume the status quo may be wrong. Love that. Mm -hmm. Second was ask why and perhaps what if. And the third, have the courage to challenge, reinvent, uh, lead yourself and others in a different way. I think these are all brilliant. I know you probably have even more, but they, these are probably the, the best by the top book. three that I can think of. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, the and there's a reason why the thing is in, you know, is beaten every category that it's been in. So we encourage you to go and get this. Um, I would assume these are pretty easy to get a hold of. Where where would we, you would like for us to send people, Christy, to get a hold of you or learn more about the work that you do, or obviously to pick up a copy of the book? So keep it simple. You can go to the website, Christy H. Turner, and Christy spelled a little uniquely, 
K-R-I-S-T-I. So ChristyHTurner.com. You can engage with me. Uh, I do consulting. I do coaching. There's a link to buy the book. We're on Amazon. We're also on Barnes and Noble online and we're popping up in independent bookstores across the country. And um, email me. I love to engage with people. That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely have all of that in the show notes for sure. Um, I was telling Brant just before we jumped on here, you know, definitely wanted to connect you guys. But, um, you know, I've known you now. I want to say it's over 25 years, 20 for sure. And I've just been lucky enough to come out and spend a little bit of time in front of some of the people that uh, that you've uh, helped lead. And I'm very appreciative of that. But this was a, a very unique and different topic. I'm not sure we would have come up with it on our own. So the fact that you own this space right now was just fun for us to put out there for our audience. So Christy, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Well, you guys keep doing the podcast. I love it. I listen to you guys all the time. And both of you are great speakers. And Jim, you have spoken, been a keynote for me at a couple of companies, recommended you to everybody. It's just fantastic. Awesome. Love being on your show. Same here. Awesome. It's a love fest around here. We'll look forward to seeing you next time around. Rock on. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, and listen, we know how busy you are. And grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that can amp up your life are super hard to come by. So we hope this episode helped you enough for you to maybe subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and a review so that we can continue to grow the show. Thus That Rock is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network and also supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who have run out of options. They're amazing. Their work is incredible. To learn more, please go to cannonballkidscancer.org. Finally, if you're interested in having Brant or Jim or both of us speak at your event, whether as a virtual webinar or an in-person conference keynote or mastermind, contact us directly at thoughtsetrock.com. Until next time, rock, rock on. on! Ever heard of stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of stoicism with a lowercase s and not stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it.